Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And just a couple of things before we begin. The first is do not uh, put off, if you plan to be with us at the retreat in June, then please contact our office immediately. We're having a great response. There are people flying in from Canada and also even from the UK and um, who knows where else in the world. It's going to be a wonderful time. Let me just say this, that the wonder, and I say that word very carefully, the wonder of a retreat is that you are for the entire weekend with a company of people who believe what you believe concerning the love of God and who Christ is within you. That in itself is worth coming to the retreat, quite apart from the teaching and the praying and everything else, to be with people who understand and are living and can share where they're at on this journey in the love of God. That's worth the retreat. For me, anyway. Okay, I trust we will see you there. I long to see your face in person. And then secondly, what we're going to do tonight is begin a series that will probably last a number of weeks. And it is based on what we call the Lord's Prayer. And, um, well, let me, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, We have so many questions about prayer, so many um, distorted understandings of prayer, that I believe that it is time that we just sat down together for a few weeks and looked at what is prayer, and especially as it is being taught to us by the Lord Jesus himself. And so, let's begin, and I want to read, uh, first of all, from Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he devotes actually a lot of time to this, um, more than we might think. But let me read just at least part of what Jesus said concerning prayer. Verse 7 of chapter 6, he said, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, I want to go to a second passage, which is the um, same, but shall I say different, in that it was at another time. Jesus very obviously taught this. Jesus was their mentor in prayer and how to pray. And so this was another time. And that's in Luke in chapter 11. And on this occasion, it says, it's not the Sermon on the Mount this time. It says, it happened that while Jesus was praying, notice these words, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then gives a slightly shortened version of the prayer that we just read in Matthew. It's this last time that um, is a good place to jump in and just look at this. Uh, over the weeks, I want to investigate every word of this prayer. But for tonight, I just want to look at it, sort of stand back and hear what's happening. It says that Jesus was in a certain place praying. Now, uh, obviously, he, we can deduce from this that the disciples were present. Uh, at least here in the USA, uh, we, we believe in privacy. Uh, we, we are fanatics about our privacy. Um, but in Israel and many, many, many third world countries today, there's no such thing as privacy. And, and when, when Jesus was praying, it would have been done in the presence of others whether they wanted to join in or not. And the Jewish people, when they prayed, they stood. They did not kneel. They stood. And so Jesus would be standing. He would be with. They were just sort of together at that time. They weren't doing anything in particular. Maybe the disciples were laying down for a nap. I, I don't know, but they were in a certain place. That's as far as we know. And the disciples were there. And Jesus is standing and he is praying. And as I said, he would be praying aloud. We also know from other scriptures that Jesus would be praying while they were walking. And so as, as they journeyed down the road, Jesus would be praying aloud. And this case, whatever they were doing, he's praying aloud. Only on this occasion, the disciples are listening. They are listening, and as they listen, or shall I say they overhear his conversation with the Father, they realize they've never heard anyone pray like this before. They have never heard prayers like this before. Now, careful before we judge them. They were Jewish people who were very obviously part of the synagogue of that day. We know that. 
And they were, in that sense, um, very well aware of the prayers that were used in the synagogue. And as good Jews, they had prayers that they prayed throughout the day. And, and so they, they were very familiar with prayer and those synagogue prayers and the prayers that they prayed during the day, they were beautiful prayers. There was absolutely nothing wrong with them. They, they were locked into, rooted into the Old Testament. Uh, but now they're listening to Jesus and they are saying, not that there was something wrong with the prayers they had been taught from their mother's knee. No, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that the prayer that we're now listening to uh, transcends them. It, it's, it's, it's beyond us. They're, they're speechless as they listen to it. And, and so they ask the question, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And, and that sounds as if they're, they're totally ignorant, like, like little children who don't know how to pray. But the truth is that's exactly what they were. They, they were well equipped with prayers that belonged to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. But as they are now coming into the new covenant that is focused in the person of Jesus, they are. They're, they're at a loss for words. They say, teach us to pray. We, we don't know how to pray as we are listening to you. Do, do you hear your voice in the voice of these disciples? That's a serious question because I... I hear my voice in the voice of that disciple that asked him. I, I, I have made it a great part of my life to ask that question, Lord, teach me to pray. I, 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 coming up as a, a young teenager, um, I, I was very dissatisfied with prayer that went on within the church walls. Um, again, it, it was not a judgment. Who was I to judge? I was the kid on the block. But there was something inside of me that said, it's got to be grander than this. There's something that we're missing. And I was clawing for that something and, and it came out. I, I hear my voice as a teenager and in my 20s and 30s. I, I hear myself saying, Lord, teach me to pray. You see, prayer begins with God. That's something I'm going to be reiterating as we go through all of this. Prayer begins with God. You see, the pagan world... Uh, and that includes maybe your neighbor, it could include some Christian neighbors that you have, believe that prayer sort of is up to us. Now, no one's going to say this, but the feeling is that the Lord has saved us, but now prayer is somehow on our shoulders that we've got to persuade him to help us. Do you know what I mean? There, there are many areas of the Christian life, and I'm very quick to say, I can't do this by myself. 
but usually prayer is not one of them. Prayer is looked upon, as no one will say it, but it's looked upon as it's over to me. It's up to you now. You've got to pray and, and convince God. You've got to twist his arm somehow. You, you've got to somehow get God's attention. You've got to get his ear. Well, that's paganism. That's what Jesus was referring to in the Sermon on the Mount, that you don't pray as, as the unbelievers pray. You're not trying to get God's attention. The truth is, he's seeking your attention. He, he, you, you've been his attention since the day you were conceived. No, you don't have to get his attention. And, and, and you don't have to twist his arm because he knows what you need and he longs to give it to you. And his love is greater and grander than you've ever imagined. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. It's never entered into our minds to conceive what his love would give us. And so, no, we, we don't have to persuade him we don't have to nag him. That's not prayer. That's pagan concept of prayer. That if I say this prayer enough times, if I repeat these words enough times, then the God is going to hear me. But that's not the case. Prayer begins with God. It begins with God in that he created us to join in the conversation of God. If you go back to Genesis 1, you, you have a, a number of amazing things there. When it comes to the creation of mankind, you and I, it, it says there in Genesis that the, the words that have introduced each day of creation, they change. So it says all the way down, it says, and God said, let there be, and God said, let there be. But when it comes to the creation of humankind, do you remember, it's as if there's a silence. If we're following the week through, then it was Friday afternoon, because on Friday morning, he'd created the great mammals, uh, the primates, and but now there's this silence. You could say there's the great chasm because we're nothing to do with the primates. There's a great chasm. We didn't emerge out of a monkey's face. There's a great chasm, silence. And then it changed. No, it doesn't say God said let. It, it says, and God said, let us make man. Whoa. Who's the us? Right there in Genesis 1, you have the first beginnings of the idea that is going to take all the way to the New Testament to finally flesh it out. But there it is, that within the one God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making us there is the conversation within the Holy Trinity. And God said within himself, let us make man, mankind, in our image and in our likeness. And, and, and so 
Now, we are created like God. We are created in His image. And what is the first thing that happens after mankind came fresh from the voice and the hand of God? The very first thing is that they begin to enter into conversation with God. And so the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who had said, let us make man, now enters into conversation, familiar conversation with the mankind. I I hope you're following this because it tells me that we were made to converse within the Holy Trinity. We were made to talk to the Father. We were made in the image of Jesus the Son. We were made, I say again, to fellowship, to commune. Well, yeah, if you burn this body and get a heap of ashes, you can buy me in a pharmacy for a few bucks. Um, and, and if you look at my organs, yeah, there's a lot about us that at least resembles the rest of creation. But there's that Grand Canyon. It's more than that. It's a chasm you can't cross between us and the highest primate. That's the end of the animal creation. Now it's mankind. And mankind, though sharing so much with the beast, is made in the image of God and upon creation can enter into conversation with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. We were created for union. In fact, let me throw this out to you. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? And, and people who saw, I'm going to live forever. No, that's not eternal life. Good Lord, that would be very boring. No, eternal life is not a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the Father, and Jesus whom he sent. And the word know there means an intimate, personal knowing. It's knowing by experience, knowing by observation. Eternal life is the life of the Holy Trinity as the Father knows Jesus, the Son, as the Son knows the Father, as the Father and the Son know the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit knows the Father and the Son. Now, he says, you can share in that eternal life knowing the Father, intimately, personally. Yeah. That is what was shattered when, when sin entered. Uh, sin was not, is not, just merely breaking rules. Good Lord, are we dealing with the Supreme Court here? No. Uh, sin is not merely breaking a few rules. Sin is the breaking of the most incredible, unbelievable relationship for which we were created. Sin is shattering that relationship that we were created for, that we would relate to the Father. We would know him. 
we would know him in Jesus the Son, that we would be embraced by the Holy Spirit. That is what was shattered. And we entered into the great darkness and lies and deceit that were poured into our brain by the Satan. That, that, that is a broken relationship. How does God bring us back? Jesus. Put it that Jesus is God coming inside our darkness. Jesus, John chapter 1 makes it very plain, is God. God the Son becomes flesh. He gets inside me and you and our darkness. And from within us, he's going to bring us back to the Father. And this is part of that journey, the the great Christ event that begins in the womb of the Virgin Mary and carries all the way through to the day of Pentecost. God initiates this. It wasn't our idea. We thought our darkness and death was life. He came into our darkness and part of this incredible good news that he's going to bring us out of the darkness and death into the light and the life that exists within God himself. And part of that, part of that journey, is that he teaches us how to pray. Uh, There's so much inside of me on this. I trust some of it's coming through that this is prayer. This is prayer. It's it's not going to a remote God with an endless grocery list trying to get his attention. It's not throwing ideas out there and hoping one of them wins the lottery and God answers. No, prayer is that Jesus... God got inside us and brought into our darkness the love-life relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He brought that right into our darkness in himself. And there in Nazareth and the Galilee and the hills around the Galilee and walking the roads to Jerusalem, he brings that conversation between God the Father and God the Son in the Holy Spirit. He brings it right there. Only there's an absolute difference now because that conversation centers upon God become human, God joining our humanity to himself and carrying us humans into that. He says, come and join us. You join to me, talk to the Father as I do. Know the love of the Father as I know the love of the Father. See the eyes of the Father delighting in you as I do. Come and share your heart with the Father as I do. No holds, nothing, it's safe. Tell him everything, just like I do. That, that's, that's prayer. We're invited into this 
inside of God. We're invited into the very fountainhead, the beginning of all love and all life. We're invited to sit there, joined into Jesus, to share in the family conversation of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This, <laughs> this is prayer. This is prayer. This is prayer as the Old Testament never knew it. Have you noticed that the prayers of the New Testament, they are, what can I say, they're different to the Old Testament, although different not in the sense that we now scrap them, but recognize they were the beginning, they were the first sounds of those who knew they were created for God. But once Jesus came and taught us within himself how to pray, then we have prayers like we never had in the Old Testament. And so Jesus answered the request, Lord, teach us to pray. We're hearing in you something we've never heard before. And he answered that request as if to say, come and join me. This is not something I... It's not. What, what can I say? I, this is not a hidden, it's not occult. It, it, come and join me. Yeah, I'll teach you. I'll teach you. And I'll teach you like that. You, you pray like this, he said, like this. I, and it's a few simple words. Depending on the translation, it's around 70 words. I, that's it? Come on, I want you to look at this. Just a few simple words. You say, that's it? Get into these words and we enter into the very heart of the Holy Trinity and know the love of the Father and know where we stand in all of this? You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Except, I must warn you, you never get to the bottom of it. I've been meditating on this prayer for over 60 years and I still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And in coming to what I'm saying in the next weeks, I'm discovering what I've never seen before. It's amazing. When I, when I was raised, you see, they, they would dangle in front of us those who had a reputation for prayer, great prayers, who could spend hours and hours and hours and nights and days in prayer and usually with great emotion. And, and of course, we tried to do it. Us poor kids in the youth department, we, we tried to do that. And, and it fell flat on its face. The, long, the harder we tried, the more difficult it got. Pray for an hour and we were done in three minutes. You know how it goes. No, Jesus doesn't dangle anything like that in front of us. He just gives us a prayer that is alive. And it is so alive. Sometimes it will take you an hour to pray it. But you won't be aware of that until afterward. And think about it. Jesus gives us these words. Let me... You know, you can read a million books on prayer. But bottom line is... This is Jesus speaking, and he is telling us, pray like this. And if I could just push that a bit further, he said that he never said anything unless he first heard the Father say it. 
meaning that everything he said was the will of the Father. He said that he was the perfect and complete representative of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, And if you've heard him, you've heard the Father. So that means these words... Why did it take us to read it? I mean, it was you could uh, time it in seconds. But in these words, you're not only hearing Jesus saying, this is how I pray, but you're also hearing the Father saying, this is how I want you to pray. It's the Father inviting us into that unbelievable communion where I sit down with the Father locked into the Son and we talk together and the Father invites us into that with this prayer. He invites us then to participate in what he wants, his desire, what's the passion of his heart. And he gives us just in Staccato sentences, he tells us, you, you pray for this. You, pray. you could almost say, especially with some of this, uh, as if the Father was saying to you, I give you permission to ask for this. I give you permission to ask for that. And as we hear that, then prayer, the prayer is not that time that you know they told us at least they told me when I first came to Christ that you've got to take time every day and read your Bible and pray and when you pray five minutes for this five minutes oh come on come on this is relationship it's not a formula it's not that thing on the back of the car have you hugged your children today look at your watch and say child come here let me hug it will be three seconds no It's a spontaneous relationship. And he says, as you enter this relationship, this this is the way to go. But then I've had people who object to that, some pretty strongly, um, that they say, look, you're you're saying just say these words, our Father who who is in heaven, You, you just say these words. Isn't that just... Vain repetition, isn't that just saying empty words? Surely we've got to find our own words to pray. Of course, there are others who pray this, and it is vain repetition. They they say it and their mind is somewhere else. They're just saying it because it's the religious thing to do. So what is it? Do, Do I come into this relationship with the Father using these words that Jesus gave us to use? Or do I come to make up new words and new sentences? There's a great danger, great danger of being aware of our ability to put words together to make a prayer. Again, I don't know where you are in your past history with all of this. But, I mean, I I was raised with people who you could say they were experts in putting words together. It's like poetry to listen to them. Uh, And they could flowing words and they address God. Of course, when they'd finished, you really didn't know what they'd asked. Uh, 
and, and therefore you could ne never check up to see if it was answered. But oh, how, but then I noticed they more or less said the same thing every week. Every time they got a chance, they just said these words. And it was all about their words, and they got the reputation that Sister So-and-so can really pray. Well, the fact is, as I say these words that I know so well, because I've repeated them so often, I forget about the words, and I, I let the words take me. It's not about the words. It's not about how I put the words together. It is I'm taking the words of Jesus and letting them lead me into this relationship with the Father. You know, we, we the Psalms, see, they're the, some of the Old Testament prayers. Have you noticed what they do to you? Why, why is it Psalm 23 and you say the words? You don't have to think about it, do you? Yeah, they, they just flow out of you because you know them. So what happens? Those words now, because you're not thinking about them, you know them too well, and they take you right into the arms of the shepherd. There's, there's so much to say for familiarity with words, especially the words of God, because they are endless in the depth of what they're saying. And therefore we can say them and say them recognizing how deep they are. Say them and see things we'd never seen before as we say them. And so, yes, I, I pray this prayer just as it came from the lips of Jesus. And I, I, I pray it very, very, very often. But at other times, I recognize that this is a recipe for prayer. That is, when you pray, make sure all these elements are in it and in the order in which they're given. If you've a uh, recipe for a cake, if you put the last ingredient in first, you'll have a mess. No, this is the recipe if you're going to use it that way. And, and all the things that are now a challenge and an opportunity, uh, the, the things that are now causing you concern and, and the pressures of the darkness fit it all in here. It's got a place here. And, and I, I can use this prayer. And, and so it goes both ways, both ways. It reminds me, do you remember that prophet Ezekiel? Not too many people read Ezekiel, but the, in Ezekiel, right at the end of the book, you have that image of the water of life. Do you remember that? And he's commanded, get into that river of the water of life. And he comes up to his ankles. It's just like walking in a puddle. But as he goes on, he's wading. And, and after a bit, he, he's swimming in it. Well, that's this prayer. When I began to pray this decades ago, it was just up to my ankles and I said the words and groped for what I was saying behind the words. But there came a time when I realized I was carried on the bosom of the prayer. I was swimming in it. I hope that makes sense. This prayer that Jesus gave us, is praying in the name of Jesus, even though it doesn't end with in the name of Jesus. The prayer is praying in the name of Jesus. It is the prayer of the new covenant. 
You see, who gave us this prayer? Jesus. And why did he give us this prayer? Because they heard him praying and wanted to pray like him. So he gave us this prayer. What Jesus is doing here is sharing with us his own heart. He's sharing with us his pathway to the Father. Or as I said at the beginning, God has come inside of us and is now within our humanness teaching us how to commune with God. And and the requests of this prayer, have you really ever heard them? Every request of this prayer, it's all hanging on this new life, new world that has come to us in Jesus. I mean, Father, just for starters, Father. No one in the Old Testament ever called God Father. And in fact, as you probably have heard me say, that word in the language Jesus used is Abba, which is better understood as more familiar, something like Daddy. No one ever dared. They were terrified of the name of God. And Jesus calls him Daddy. Now that begins with the New Testament. Jesus taught us this. And the hallowing of his name. We we have come to know the name of God through Jesus. And your kingdom come speaking of it as a present reality, the entire Old Testament looked forward to a distant kingdom, a distant rule of God. Now Jesus said, pray that he comes right now. Your your will be done on earth. Oh, I can't wait to get there. It is saying that praying is actually bringing heaven right now into our situation. No one in the Old Testament ever dared to speak like that. This belongs to the New Testament. Give us this day our daily bread that that God has entangled himself with our material, physical needs. That God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is concerned with the food on your table and the job you have and the clothes on your back and then forgive our sins and he joins that with our forgiving others yes what came in jesus it get the revelation that god is forgiveness and therefore we receive forgiveness we give forgiveness now this is this is very definitely very definitely, this is, this is new covenant. This is what came in Jesus. Deliver us from evil. <laughs> Finally, Jesus crushed the power of evil under his feet. Well, do you see what I mean? This, this whole prayer is praying in the name of Jesus. In fact... To pray this prayer in reality is Jesus himself joining in with your prayer 
And you pray this in tandem with Jesus. That's where we're going. That's where we'll be in a few weeks. We enter into the mind of Jesus. This is how Jesus prayed. And Jesus enters into our heart and he's the source of prayer within us. We need Jesus to teach us how to pray. I've already said sin shattered that relationship. And now I've got, I've got to, I, you see, I've been reborn. I, I'm, I'm a believer. But now I've got to learn how to function in the family. I, I realize that I have a place at the kitchen table of the Holy Trinity. I can talk to the Father, but I have to learn how. Remember, sin shattered relationship. Not a few rules. That's easy. Okay, you're forgiven, that's it. But a relationship has to be built. A relationship has to be nurtured. I need Jesus to teach me how to talk in heaven. I've got to learn the language, the dialect of heaven. I've got to be able to be at home with the way the Father talks. So in a sense, you start praying this prayer and a repentance takes place, which in a sense goes on and on and on. And of course, I'm using the word repentance as it is in the New Testament, that Greek word that should never have been translated repent. Um, the, the, the Greek word metanoia, it means a radical change or even exchange of thoughts. I stop thinking darkness. I stop thinking lies and deceit that is fed to me by Satan. I am now a child of the light. I'm now a child of truth. Child of the Father through Jesus. But now begins a process of exchanging my thoughts that belong to the old with the thoughts of God himself. Or as Paul calls it, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Receiving a whole new way of looking at who God is. I didn't know he was like this. And in in the same breath then, who am I in my relationship to him? And to look at all the circumstances of life, but now to look at them as God the Father looks at them. That's repentance. That's a, an, a radical change of mind, exchange of thoughts. To pray this prayer shapes me. You become what you pray. And, and you pray then from who you are. Look, here's this little baby. And, and, and in a sense, this little baby is a clean slate that baby is going to be shaped, molded by the parents. 
That child will end up talking like the parents. It will talk about the things the parents count as important. It, it, the, the child that will become a young person will end up speaking the values of the parents. Well, Jesus is teaching us here the dialect of heaven. He's teaching us the values of the Father. He's teaching us how to talk the language of God. See, we are very fluent in the language of the darkness. You understand? The, the language of the darkness, well, I mean, you don't have to go too far to hear it. Um, I, I still understand that language. By the grace of God, I talk it less and less. But, you know, it's the language of fear. You, you, you hear, especially in today's world, you, you hear, and, and fear has a tone. Fear has certain words attached to it. Fear has a certain uh, grating sound to it. And, and you hear fear. You, you hear anxiety. You, you see anxiety for the language of the darkness distorts even your facial expression. That's the language of Satan. Fear, anxiety. The first mention of fear was after sin entered the world. The, the, the language of the darkness is complaining. Complaining, 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 which has in it blame shifting. And actually, if you press the complaint far enough, it's blaming God, because in the darkness, the image that we have of God is a twisted, distorted caricature of the real God. And so he's to be blamed for everything that we perceive as bad. And so the language of the darkness is complaint. This is the prayer life of the unbeliever. It's how they report upon what is happening. Fear, anxiety, complaining, blame shifting. And then looking outward, the language of the darkness is pride. Jesus actually gives us an example of that, doesn't he? I thank you, O God, I'm not as other men. Yeah, that, he, that, he, that chap thought he was praying, but Jesus said he prayed with himself, saying, I'm not as other men, I'm better than, I'm better than. Or as we stand at the water cooler and say, I'd never do that. Did you hear what she did? No, that's the language of the darkness. Envy that would destroy someone else because you want what they've got. Language of the darkness, revenge, unforgiveness, bitterness, malice, they all go together. And, and the flow, the fluency of the language of the darkness in gossip, tearing other people apart. What, do you understand what I mean? How, how can that person, you, that's their language, how does that fit in to the table talk when I'm talking 
across the kitchen table to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I need to learn a new language. I need a whole new vocabulary and grammar and syntax. I need Jesus. Teach me how to pray. Teach me this new world where I live inside the Holy Trinity and boldly speak my mind, my heart. I need to learn the language of praise and thanksgiving. That needs to be learned. That's not just words. It's not just saying hallelujah. It's when your very heart says hallelujah and your behavior vibrates hallelujah. It's the language that is filled with hope, not anxiety. It's the language that overflows with love and forgiveness, kindness and goodness and gentleness. It's the language of the joy of Jesus in us. As he said, my joy I give to you. Likewise, peace. He said, my peace I give to you. Or it's called later on the peace of God, which passes human comprehension. You see, once I learn that language, I do not feel at home in the language of fear and anxiety and complaining and gossip and pride. It, it doesn't fit. My tongue goes to the back of my mouth. It doesn't want to talk like that. I've put it off. I found a new language that expresses my new heart. That's a believer. That's a believer. You know, of course, I was raised speaking English, and I know you you listen to my accent and you immediately say that you're English. I know that. But the truth is, when I go back to England, they think I'm an American because the dialect, the tone, I don't speak English anymore. Ask anybody in London. I, I don't. There are many words I've dropped out of my vocabulary and sometimes I hear them and a whole other world comes into play when I hear that other way of saying things. But I had to learn a new language to communicate with people over here. That's prayer. Teach us to pray. You just don't start praying without this dependence upon Jesus through the Holy Spirit within us teaching us how to pray. Now, in case some might not have really heard what I'm saying there, please understand this. You don't have to learn this language to pray. Prayer will teach you this language because he hears your slightest cry. As a mother is awakened from a deep sleep at the just a, a tiny cry from her baby in its sleep, so your heart cries, maybe cry of pain, anguish, hopelessness, helplessness. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, so so don't don't think you can't pray because you don't know the words. Just groan and the Father hears you. What I'm talking about is what this is talking about. 
Lord, teach us to pray. We, we have come to realize we don't know what we're doing. We, we realize we can say prayers, but what you're doing is something else. You're praying. And you're praying in a fashion that we've never comprehended. We don't get it. It's another world. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And in so learning to pray, and I say again, he gave us this prayer in answer to that request. In answer to that, we, what? We grow up like a child being molded by the parents' conversation. We find ourselves aware of being in the presence of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are at home in that dimension called heaven. And we use the words and the concepts that are unearthly. They're heavenly. As surely as we have put off the language of the darkness, so we have put on a whole new language of a heart that dwells in God. In praying this prayer, we become what I call people of the prayer. This prayer shapes us. And at the same time, as we use these words, we recognize ourselves to be ambassadors of heaven. That is, we who can be aware to the nth degree that we are in this glorious God and he in us. But now in this world, we are the ambassadors of heaven. We are the representatives of heaven. We are the delegated authority of heaven. And through this prayer, we bring into earth the power of heaven. We're the people of the prayer. I mean, uh, I, I, I said it more or less, but just look at it again very quickly. If you pray this prayer, then you are a person who at least has begun to know the Father. Jesus said that he would introduce us to the Father. We come to the Father through Jesus. So the very first words, our Father, it tells me that you've already begun. You are coming you, you have come to the Father and you're coming to the Father. You're discovering your Father in heaven. You're also discovering that you're part of a vast body of believers because you can't pray this prayer in isolation because it begins with our Father. Our, our, not my, our Father. So to pray this prayer, though I may be alone physically, I recognize I am in actuality tied into the body of Christ. What a thought. That's the unity Jesus prayed, is it not? That we would be one even as he was one with the Father and the Father was one with him. That is, like unto the Holy Trinity. More of that later. But it also says that we go or recognize ourselves to be in heaven 
in order to pray the prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. Well, if he's in heaven, where am I? Am I lost at sea, sending up an SOS, hoping heaven will see? No. If I'm praying to my Father in heaven, I am in heaven. You know, there are times I get so angry with those who have described heaven to us based upon symbolic images in the book of Revelation, and people are waiting to die and go to a place with golden streets. Oh, Spirit of God, help us. Heaven is the God place. Heaven is the immediate presence of God. And that's where we live. And we realize that and we speak immediately to the Father. And, and, and our hearts are ready to, to praise Him, to honor Him, to obey Him. That's the meaning of the word hallowed. And then we learn to desire what He desires uh, to, to participate in the family passion, your kingdom come. And again, I've no idea what you might believe because I, I know so many different ideas. But the scripture says, and we spend a lot of time on it, but it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, which means walking in step and harmony face to face. Righteousness. You are walking in harmony with the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Righteousness. It is peace. Shalom. It's that peace that passes human understanding. It is joy. The kingdom of God come into this moment that's the kind of people we are because we pray this prayer and we expect the very kingdom, the rule of God to take place in our world. Where It says wherever you put your foot down, that's yours to bring the kingdom of God. There's so much to share here. But also we, we are given such hope, such boldness, that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, the old religious misery that makes the will of God something hideous, something horrible, it's come to that. You've got to do the will of God, so help me. Uh, the will of God, that elusive mystery that we spend hours, oh God, show us your will. Now the will of God has been revealed. We have an open book on the will of God. And that will of God that covers the entire spectrum of salvation, which includes everything in my spirit being made right, right through to my body and my possessions. Whatever is willed, whatever is the delight and the pleasure of heaven, in this prayer we are saying, then it shall be done here on earth now. And if it is not the delight and the pleasure of heaven, then it is illegal here on earth now, and we forbid it in our world. But a lot more of that later. And amazingly, 
having reached to such heights, it says, give us this day our daily bread. The person who prays this prayer is absolutely confident that right down to paying the rent and buying the food and putting new shoes on the kids in September is all of supreme concern and interest to this Father that we address. So this isn't a people and a prayer that is ethereal and talking about things eternal. It's locked in, anchored into our little lives that we look at. Come on, we look at the, so insignificant. You know, I'm just a poor, unworthy, whatever. You know, I, I just go to work and earn my money and look after my family. So insignificant. You can't pray this prayer and ever say those words again because bread on your table is equated with the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, as I said, forgiveness. We know we are forgiven. And when we stumble, we receive the forgiveness that ever flows from the heart of the Father. But we've come to see that forgiveness is the way of reality and therefore we in turn forgive everyone in our world. It's a person who wants no part in evil. Deliver us from evil. And it's a person who sees there's only one God, not two. So we never concentrate on Satan. Never. Why would you? He's a created angel. He, he, he's, he's not. He's a fallen creature. He's not God. Not a God. It isn't that half the world's dark and half the world's white and there's a battle. No, no, no. It's only one God. One God. And therefore, we address the Father. <laughs> right? Now we embrace the whole prayer and say, for yours is the kingdom. There's only one. It's yours. Yours is the power. There's only one power. That's yours. There's only one who shall ever glory. That's you. One glory. We don't see God and Satan, God and Satan. We look right through life and we see this is God's agenda. This is God's stage. And then we end with the word of faith that sums up our prayer by saying, Amen, which, which is a Hebrew word. It means that's the way it is. That's the way it shall be. And we go away from this session in the holiest of all, bold to say this is the way it's going to be. We didn't go there as beggars to get a dime. We went to sons and daughters to sit in executive suite with Father and discuss his will being done on earth. And now we go to say the amen. That's the way it's going to be. So we pray this prayer. We pray it as we rise from our bed. In fact, if you wake up in the night, pray this prayer. Pray it in the shower. Pray it in the car. Let it become part of your subconscious so it's always sort of there. You pray without ceasing. Well, that's just the overview. Sort of getting us used to what's going on here. And next week we shall begin to plunge into every word of this prayer and I trust the Holy Spirit will indeed teach us 
to pray. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you with eyes wide open to this incredible salvation that you may know who you are and shall settle into the communion with the Father for which you were created and rebirthed. Let that be your blessing every day of this week. And that's the way it is. Amen.